Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to a special rapid reaction episode of Boom Lawyered, a rewired.news podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that is in a studio gazing into each other's eyes from across a table. I'm Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piclo. So, Jess, we're here in studio in Washington, D.C. Why? What What did you do today? Good question, Amani. I was at the Supreme Court for oral arguments in June Medical Services versus Russo. Wow, I was too, except I was outside while you were inside. <laughs> so what I want to do is give our listeners a sense of what happened inside the courtroom. Sure. So let's give some background for a little bit. Can we talk for just one hot second about the fact that oral arguments in this case were only an hour? So you and I have spent... How many hours do you think talking about June Medical Services, right? Podcasting about it, writing about it, yelling about it on Twitter? 50,000, maybe? 50,000. <laughs> I think that might be excessive, but it's a lot. It's a lot. And so we've got this case, an hour for arguments total. We've got attorneys from the Center for Reproductive Rights who were arguing on behalf of abortion providers. And that was Julie Rickleman from uh, the Center for Reproductive Rights. She did a really good job. Then we have the Louisiana Solicitor General, Elizabeth Murrell, who was arguing on behalf of the state of Louisiana. And she was fine. I mean, (laughs) she was fine. She did what she needed to do. And then we had a very special appearance by Jeffrey Wall, principal deputy solicitor general for the Trump administration. Wait, 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 wait. Why was the Trump administration at oral arguments in a case involving a Louisiana state law? We're going to get into that because I have a lot of thoughts. Okay, because that seems a little unusual to me. Yeah, but let's remind listeners what this case is about. So it involves Act 620, a Louisiana admitting privileges law, and that's a law that requires doctors who perform abortions to have hospital admitting privileges nearby, within 30 miles of the clinic they perform their abortions. The law is identical. This sounds familiar, right, to you? Identical, yes. To one that was struck down four years ago. Yeah, and we were here. Here four we years ago, almost to the day we were here four years ago in Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt, where the court ultimately struck down Texas's admitting privileges law, which is again identical, identical, ident like I. To the one that is now at issue in Louisiana. So the question that the justices were asked to answer and will ultimately have to answer by the end of the summer when the term is up is whether the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals got it right when it said that Act 620 could take effect. So Mm -hmm. just to rewind a little bit, while the fight over the Texas admitting privileges uh, law was happening, Louisiana was having its own fight. And in that fight was a district court trial that lasted for many days, volumes of evidence. It goes up for appeal and the Fifth Circuit says, we know there was a trial, but we really just don't like the outcome. And Mm -hmm. so we are going to let this law take effect. Um, So that's the nugget of the question that the justices have to answer. And this really big um, landmine in the case, which is do abortion providers have the ability, do they have legal standing to bring certain types of claims on behalf of their patients? And so it's a huge case with really big implications for abortion rights and access, regardless of how the justice. Uh, decided. So let's talk about that thing you yeah. just mentioned, standing. 
that's, you know, we've called that the sleeper issue in the case. We've called that an issue that could upend the ways in which these cases are litigated. It might require, if we get a ruling that providers don't have standing Mm -hmm. to sue on behalf of their patients, we could end up with lawyers having to go out and find pregnant people to sue on their own behalf. And as we've discussed, nobody really wants to do that when they're pregnant, especially in this era of the demonization of abortion. So... What did the court have to say about standing? What's your impression of how they're going to rule on standing? Um, The court is sharply divided on this question, which I think is no surprise. Um, And it's something that in particular Justice Alito really wanted to talk about. Now, the standing issue is something that just came up independently at the Supreme Court. It wasn't raised in the lower court and it wasn't raised at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. It wasn't even raised the first time that this case was before the Supreme Court when Roberts stepped in and said, we're going to put that Fifth Circuit uh, decision on hold while we continue to fight it out. It wasn't until the Center for Reproductive Rights filed their substantive uh, cert petition, that's their request to the Supreme Court to take the case, that Louisiana said, oh, hey, by the way, we don't think providers should take that. So that is really unusual. And that context is really important. And I think it bears repeating that this case was litigated for five years and yes. for five years, Louisiana conceded that these providers had standing and then they conceded it in the lower court, conceded it in the Fifth Circuit, conceded it the first time they went to the Supreme yep. Court. And then at this last minute, they decided to throw this Hail Mary petition. By the way, just kidding. We don't think they have standing anymore. So that in and of itself is quite unusual. But please. Yeah. How did the court feel? How do you think? So the 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 hardcore conservatives really want to gut third party standing. In fact, it was the very first question Justice Alito asked Julie Rinkleman in her case. And that is like insidery baseball because the Center for Reproductive Rights, the providers, they obviously didn't challenge their own standing. Right. Right. As So for Alito to ask that of the providers initially says that this is the issue that he's really focused on. Mm-hmm. And how they talked about it and the way in which the court talked about it was really important, too. So um, it's not just that, well, you know, pregnant pe- uh, people should be able to bring their own claims. They can bring their own claims. Nobody's saying that. It's it's the question of, um, is there a conflict of interest that providers have with patients to bring those claims? And that's what Alito was all over. All he wanted to talk about were, you know, money-grubbing abortionists mm-hmm. who are, you know, they have financial incentives to skirt regulations. And, you know, abortion providers are the most heavily regulated industry for most part, you know, like there. So um, there was a lot of bad faith around that. But, um, you know, so he is really honed in on that. Um, We've talked about uh, John Roberts being the deciding vote on standing and him having a history of being very conservative, thinking that, you know, not that many people should have standing to bring claims. He didn't ask a single standing question. And that makes me nervous. I would have liked to have some better sense of where the chief justice's thinking was on this. So that could mean that he's just decided we're just going to go with precedent because I'm concerned about my legacy and I'm not going to upend 50 years worth of standing jurisprudence. Or it could mean that he is so disgusted by standing that he's already just on board with Alito's yeah. nonsense. I mean, it could be that he's just letting Alito take all the body blows, yeah. you know, knowing yeah. that people like me and you are going to talk about how just awful he was and letting him do the dirty work. And mm-hmm. he just is going to ultimately sign on to that. You know, the question of Chief Justice John Roberts and precedent is really interesting because this case we've talked about shouldn't even be here. Right. right? I mean, her opening remark to the court, uh, Julie Rickman said that this is about precedent. This is about whether or not the justices 
are going to respect their own decision from four years ago. And so if Roberts were to decide to split the baby because of some like sense of, of you know, loyalty to precedent and Holman's health or, you know, in standing, I don't know, like that just seems cynical because like, what are you going to do? Say that from here on out, we're going to have a state by state inquiry in terms of abortion restrictions, but like, you know, which is effectively upending the precedent of Holman's health, but like leave standing in place. That's all like I just I think if the chief justice is going to respect precedent, then he needs to both find that abortion providers have standing and that Holman's health disposes of this case and that Act 620 is unconstitutional. So assuming he doesn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Um, So. Let's talk a little bit about the specific facts of this Louisiana case. I mean, first of all, what what arguments did Louisiana make to differentiate the way that this law is applied in Louisiana versus the way that it was applied in Texas, which led to the court striking down the law in Texas as being an undue burden? It seems to me that the burdens are the same. Yeah. So did the court say anything about, well, the the burdens aren't so bad in Louisiana, so really it's not necessarily that we have to follow whole woman's health to the end of the earth, but rather whole woman's health set forth these principles that are applicable to Texas. Right. And then Louisiana has to make its own case and opponents of the law in Louisiana have to make their own case separately. I mean, that's Chief Justice, what, what appears to be Chief Justice Roberts' position in a nutshell right there mm-hmm. is that what whole woman's health did was set out a standard that is fact intensive, but that ultimately is a state by state inquiry. So that would require courts to examine the benefits of a particular admitting privileges law in that particular state, as well as the burdens of its implementation. And so, yeah. But then the question becomes, right, in Whole Woman's Health, the court said that these laws have no medical benefit. So if the laws have no medical benefit, that seems like a pretty just straightforward statement. Right. So what are these benefits going to be in different states? So Louisiana really tried to find some wiggle room in the record. And if the conservatives are amenable to that, then we will get a decision, I think, that says effectively, Holman's health was great. We love it. (laughs) However, it only applies to Texas because in that litigation, there was evidence developed that this specific law had these specific burdens and provided no material benefit and list the items in that record. Now, Louisiana has that record. Louisiana, a district court found all of those things and the Fifth Circuit just overturned it. So Mm -hmm. how the justices engaged the the level of good faith, we'll see. But to answer the question of what did Louisiana argue, Louisiana basically said, hey, look, the abortion providers in our state are super sketchy, so they need extra, extra regulation. That is evidence that we have that the benefit is different than Texas. Now, the Center for Reproductive Rights said nonsense. That's actually not true. And here's all the evidence to con to, you know, to rebut that. But, you know, and this is a law nerd point. It just strikes me that we're at the Supreme Court where we're supposed to be arguing principles of law, right. of broad applicable bil- applicability here. We're not supposed to be arguing details in the record. That is the job of a trial court. Mm-hmm. And so this is really a 
case about the appropriate separation of powers between the appellate courts and the lower courts and what the court is going to do with that, too. So that was going to be my next question. Was there any indication that the justices were irritated with the Fifth Circuit and the way in which the three judge panel just looked at the lower court's findings and said, we disagree? You know, because the standard is what, reversible error or yeah. clear error. And there's no way that a panel of judges, a panel of appellate judges could look at that district court ruling and find that there was clear error in the rulings that were made. The factual findings that these doctors tried really hard to get privileges and were unable to. The fact that that if this law is upheld, there will only be one provider left. Mm-hmm. And that one provider has said he's not going to continue to provide care because of the stigma, because of the yeah. death threats. And the Fifth Circuit said, well, that's speculative. Well, I mean, is it? The guy just said what he's going to do. I mean, it's, you know, so was there any discussion of the proper role of the appellate court system when it comes to these cases? Yeah, Justice Stephen Breyer has had enough of this nonsense. <laughs> he has better things to do than sit and listen to arguments in substantially the same case four years later with no difference really, even in the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and he in particular really honed in on um, not just the Fifth Circuit going rogue and basically deciding it was just going to do whatever it wanted to do because it liked a particular political outcome that it could craft in an opinion. But the willingness of the state of Louisiana to just embrace that Fifth Circuit error and run with it was like almost offensive personally to to Breyer. Mm -hmm. So at one point, he even asked um, the solicitor general from Louisiana to identify specifically in the record, where is your strongest case that the district court got it wrong? You know, which of the doctors... Am I supposed to focus in on and say, here is where I can say that, you know what, when the Fifth Circuit overturned all of the evidence, they were right to do so. And I think it's really important to note that the attorney for Louisiana couldn't answer that question. She just dodged and weaved and was like, well, this doctor tried to do this and this one. And there was actually this really great moment because she said, well, and then I'm going to point you to Doe to, you know, uh, Doe number six, which is the doctors are listed um by aliases, does one through six or seven, I believe. Um, and, to you know, we've gone on and on about our love for Justice Sotomayor on this show. Right. Mm-hmm. And here is another love letter to send up to Justice Sotomayor because she seized on this immediately. Like her knowledge of the record was just impeccable from the bench. She's mm-hmm. like, I'm so glad. That's an excellent example. That's a doctor who only performs medication abortions. And so if you are only performing medication abortions, you are not going to be able to get admitting privileges because you need to have a certain number of hospital admissions in a given year in order to be privileged at that hospital. And, and just like That's sent amazing. her to town. And it was like one of those moments like it's completely inappropriate for the press to be fist pumping during an oral argument. Right. If I had the the uh, opportunity to during, you know, that moment, it would have. But you could, like, hear those of us just kind of be like, yes, get them, <laughs> get them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but I mean, that again, that's like that's knowing the details from the trial court and then being able to immediately call bullshit to Louisiana. It was a mwah, like chef kiss moment for Sonia. I loved it. And also it's absurd that a Supreme Court justice would have to become that familiar with the record because right. the Fifth Circuit decided to just upend it and ignore 
ignore it. I mean, right. that's, that's strange and, and unusual in and of itself. Yes. And it goes back to the earlier point about the way in which Alito was arguing off of the record in terms of attacking abortion providers, because what Justices uh, Breyer and Sotomayor were able to do in that moment was really pull the curtain back on the ways in which um, those folks defending these laws were arguing in a bad faith position off the record, right? They're playing fast and loose with the facts. And the justices were not, well, the liberal justices were not having that at any rate. Um, One of the things we talked about in our preview of this case was we were talking about what what was Breyer going to say? We just discussed that. And what was Kagan going to say? Did Kagan have any comments? Did she give any indication that she might be able to drag old Johnny Boy by his ear over to the liberal wing when it comes to this case? Yeah, Kagan was also, you got the sense that she was frustrated by the fact that the case was even there Mm -hmm. um, and really was honing in on the findings that the Supreme Court itself made in Holman's Health as to the benefits and burdens of admitting privileges generally. So I think that is 100% evidence that she is having a conversation with Roberts there to say, look, man, we (laughs) have this rule and I get that you don't like it, but the rule of law matters, right? It matters. Mm -hmm. And in this decision, we said that there are no medical benefits. And if there are no medical benefits, then there can be no compelling state interest in admitting privileges law. Generally, case closed. Let's go get a burger. Like, that's how (laughs) it should have gone. Right. So I do think she was really focusing a very pragmatic approach in questioning to um, try and corner Roberts. Yeah. So apparently the Trump administration made an appearance in this oral argument, which odd, to say yes. the least. Deputy Solicitor General John Wall. Jeff Wall, yep. Jeff Wall, John, Jeff. Brad. Brad, Chad. Chad. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff Wall was there. Yeah. Why exactly? This is such an excellent question. And let's give some background for for the listeners. So the Trump administration is not a party to this lawsuit, right? right? This is a fight between abortion providers and the state of Louisiana. Nowhere in that equation exists the federal government, Mm -hmm. except the Trump administration said, oh, no, actually, we have a lot of things to say about state level abortion restrictions and how hunky dory we think they are. So um, the Department of Justice petitioned the Supreme court for some time during oral arguments. And so they took some of the state of Louisiana's time, right? Julie Rinkleman got 30 minutes and the Supreme Court split the time between uh, the state of Louisiana and the Trump administration. To answer your question of why are they there, there's no good reason for that. There is absolutely no reason. There's no legal imperative. There's nothing to say that The Trump administration had an interest that it needed to preserve that the state of Louisiana could not do so on its own accord. Um, What having Jeff Wall there does is send a signal, which is that the Department of Justice is exceedingly interested in abortion rights jurisprudence and litigation. And we are starting to see this, right? The Trump administration is now going to jump in in the Sixth Circuit case over Ohio's reason ban. That's a law that that bans abortion if uh, the patient says that they are having the procedure based on a on the race, sex or Down's diagnosis of of the fetus. 
But why? Again, why? <laughs> these aren't questions. These aren't federal questions beyond a federal constitutional right to abortion. And right. so the Trump administration, the federal government is going out of its way. It's using its scant resources to say one of our top priorities is whenever possible, arguing for a rollback of federal constitutional rights. And I think just boiling it down to that nugget is really important. Jeff Wall didn't do anything in these oral arguments that the Solicitor General from the uh, from the state of Louisiana couldn't do herself. Mm-hmm except be a voice of the federal government arguing on behalf of these abortion restrictions. And so that's something that as we're looking ahead to the state of abortion rights access generally and what it looks like in the courts should be really very scary. We have the federal government who is going to put its full force of its you know resources and its personnel and its money to say that patients can't exercise a fundamental constitutional right. And that just seems like it's more of the same when it comes to the Trump administration's relationship with the court, right? Yep. I mean, we've seen them time and again just skip the appellate courts and go crying straight to the Supreme Court demanding relief. And so yep. now they're going crying to the Supreme Court asking for oral argument time in cases that don't involve them. Yep. This has been great. Thanks yeah. for thanks for thanks for sitting down with me, Jess, and telling me <laughs> about amazing. what it was like in the court today. What was it like outside the court? Oh, I didn't get to see the rally, so give was, me a little bit of flavor for what it was like outside. It was great. I mean, the pro-choice people showed up in force. There were uh, loudmouth lawyers for reproductive justice yeah. from If When How. There were, I mean, Center for Reproductive Rights obviously had a huge contingency. Um, the Abortion Access Force had a great sign that just had a picture of a uterus on it, and it said, "Literally." No one asked you. <laughs> <laughs> That's Which amazing. I thought was great. Good job. But folks. yeah, um, yeah, it was really great outside there. A lot of people came up to me and said they really like our podcast, which oh, is thanks, lovely. Everyone. So shout out to people. One person even said that we had inspired her to go to law school, which I was like, that was the opposite of what we were trying to do. <laughs> oh no, we failed. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going to law school for repro, yes. that's something that wasn't available to us in our day. Yeah, not like so, this. So, you know, shout out to all you law students who are out there just going to law school for reproductive rights. Yeah. I salute you. Me too. Um, and beyond that, if you want have any more questions, you want to talk to us about this case, these arguments, you can find me on Twitter at Angry Black Lady. You can find Jess on Twitter at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. This morning, I did a Facebook Live segment with our new president, Galena Espinoza. So you should look for that. I'll start tweeting it um, and I'll post it in our Facebook group, which you should also join. Yes. Boom Lawyered Facebook group. Um, answer the questions. Some of the questions are a bit outdated. We do need to update them. But Justice Kegstan, Justice Beerface, Justice Beerpong, all of those names will suffice as <laughs> as aliases for uh, Justice Kavanaugh. So thank you for joining us. Yeah. And on that note, what are we going to do, Jess? We're going to see you on the tubes, folks. We're going to see you on the tubes, folks. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piclo and Imani Gandhi. Mark Filetti produces the show. 